And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show... Point hammered home at Hammer's home. B team up next, Jay Harris on Brentford's pivotal spell. And your questions and comments on Newcastle United being bloody good. Yes, hello, I'm Taylor Payne. This is Pod on the Tyne. And as always, uh, I'm joined by our Newcastle United correspondent, Mr. Chris Woff, and our senior writer, Mr. George Culkin. How are we doing, chaps? Are we all right, Chris? How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Although I'm in a slightly weird situation because I am recording this from a hotel room and it's not my own hotel room. And that sounds very sinister. But it's quite a long story, which I don't really want to go into other than <laughs> I feel very I feel very awkward. So I'm a little bit That's on edge. If I, if I sound a little bit on edge, then I apologise to everyone. But no, in terms of Newcastle United, the world is very good. How, how are you, Taylor? I'm good, mate. That sounds like the plot of a really shit film, I'll have to be honest. <laughs> Podcasting in somebody else's hotel. This is interesting. I'll, t- I'll tell you why this is interesting. Because I'm in London and I'm in a bedroom that is not my bedroom. Wow. So what is going on here? Amazing. I am just in my house. So, you know, my, I, I, I'm the normal. I'm the normal one here. But that's always been the case. Well, you've it? got that's an alibi. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. How are you doing, George? Are you all right? I'm very well. What are you well- doing down there in the big smoke? Well, I came down here I came down here to uh, to watch West Ham United versus Newcastle United. And I'm bloody glad that I did. And my dad lives down here, so I'm I'm spending a bit of time, and I've done uh, done an interview down here as well, which is I'm very excited about. I can't really tell you more about that in a minute, but I'm excited. George has been excited a lot on recent podcasts, and I just can't get used to it. It doesn't feel right, does it? It feels like there's some kind of impending doom coming. If George is this chirpy all the time, just not right. I know something. Something must be terribly wrong. The equilibrium of the universe is just gone. But, I mean, minute. and it's also the things that I get excited about now. I mean, it's so <laughs> pathetic in lots of ways. At the moment, I'm feeling massively excited about competence. <laughs> and it's like a really weird thing to get excited about. But I am. I'm so excited about competence. It's never been known, has it? Uh, Anyway, we will chat about that competent performance uh, at the London Stadium in just a minute. Uh, But before we do that, I've got just enough time to tell you about The Athletic's latest offer. You can subscribe to The Athletic now and get your first six months at just £1 a month. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. And of course, you'll get full access to our great writing, analysis and ad-free versions 
of all the Athletics podcasts. But if you do like the ads, you can still listen to those at some other time. So make your way to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and sign up now for six months at just £1 a month. Come on, you Maggie's. So, anyway, now we've got all that admin out of the way. Uh, Storm Eunice threatened all of our weekends, but somehow 3,000 travelling mags made it to the London Stadium in time for a 12.30 kickoff, and they were rewarded with a hard-fought point in the face of several first-team injuries. Chris, uh, on the balance of things, do you think Newcastle maybe did enough to, to get all three points on Saturday? I, I thought they did. I think just about. I, I, I mean, I had the novelty of, for the first time in actually quite a few years, watching a match with some friends and with a few beers because I wasn't at the game. George, George was at the game. I was off on Saturday, but watched it around mine. Few, 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 few beers. So I'd had, had a few by the end of the game. So uh, it probably helped my analysis of the game. It probably people probably think I sound better this week. <laughs> but I think I think certainly they deserved at least a point. My one thing I would say is that. For all that I thought Newcastle were good until they got to the, the final third and created maybe sort of openings. I don't think it wasn't like they made Fabianski make loads of saves. So that was mm. the that they, they did. I mean, but on saying that, they were also lacking the three of the best players. So to have managed to to get that positive result, to manage to get a draw, Absolutely. to have managed to, to make West Ham look extremely ordinary for large parts of the game. Now, I think it was a very, very good point. Uh, and yeah, if they had won the game, I don't think anyone would have been able to argue that they probably would have just about deserved it. Like you, Chris, I watched the game with a few beers and a few friends on Saturday as well. I was actually in the strawberry. Uh, I took a Saturday night off, which has, has never been known. I don't know what happened, but uh, it was great fun. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and it was really nice to see so many smiling faces, people who I hadn't seen for a while and stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah, my memories of the game are slightly foggy as well. But, George, it feels like this team have learned how to grind out those results now without the best players in the team. And that's a massively important skill to have for a team in our position, isn't it? Yes, and just to clarify, I, I, um, my my vision for the match was also a bit skewed, and um, I, I was, I was three and a half miles away from the from the pitch, but I was actually inside the stadium, stone cold sober, watching from the press box. You just can't fucking say anything; it's so yeah. far away. Give us um, some beauty all going on. It's a dreadful. What an absolutely horrific stadium that is. It is. Honestly, the more I think about this, in some ways, this is my favourite performance of the season. And I know Newcastle didn't win. And um, I know that they didn't play blissful football. But I think when you take the context of it, as Chris said, I mean, definitely without their three best players. You know, so no Kieran Trippier, the new standard bearer for the team. No Callum Wilson, the goal scorer of the team. And then no Alain Saint-Maximin, the difference maker of the team. They just gone on with it. And they looked that you know that word I used at the start, competence. They looked competent. They they knew what they were doing. The players who who have come into the team all put a shift in, all played in the same system. They're not scared of the football anymore. Um, and that that was the game that they had more possession in than any other match this season in the league. And West Ham, who I thought were really poor, um, but they were also made to look poor by Newcastle. Um, Newcastle calls, calls them problems, and yeah, it's not. It's not. I, I just. It was so impressive, quietly impressive in the circumstances. How many times have we talked about this team being o- unable to get results without their best players? How many times have we talked about them just being shit? And um, it just felt like a statement. It, it's a different kind of statement to to the wins they've picked up, but really impressive and just. 
I, I called it in the thing that I've written for the Athletic about the match. I kind of described it as beautiful competence, but it's it's that beautiful beautiful adequacy. People knowing what they're doing and doing it, and I just think it was really impressive. It's such an underrated thing, isn't it? We haven't seen an awful lot of it as Newcastle fans over the years, but when it does arrive and you do see it, you think, "What? Where's this been all of this time? People having their jobs and square pegs and square holes." Do you know what I mean? It's a it's, proper team. It's, it makes a big difference, doesn't it? It's a proper it? team. It's a proper team. Yeah, they're a proper team, and they're playing for each other, and they're playing for the manager, and that's that's fantastic to see. Uh, Chris, uh, Joe Willock, back amongst the goals. Uh, and probably playing his best football since he, he joined permanently. He, he was very, very pleased with that goal, wasn't he? And I must say a lovely assist by Declan Rice as well. Obviously got one eye on a move to the to Amanda's mags in the summer. <laughs> well, I, I enjoyed uh, Serena Taylor, the, the official club photographer. Uh, I think she put on Instagram after the game that, that apparently uh, Joe Willock had said to her before, I, yes. make sure you're in position because I am going to score so today. Well. And so the teamwork between the two of them. So he's confident. I mean, when I spoke to him just before Christmas, he'd said at that stage, how he still had belief in himself and he said that the goals would come and obviously it's taken longer than he wanted it to he admitted that after the match but over the past few weeks he's really started to grow back into his form you can see he's bringing so much more the way he drives forward with the ball I thought he did that particularly well on what is a huge pitch at the, at the London Stadium and I do think that he, that, that midfield the, mid, the midfield trio Newcastle had caused Declan Wright a lot of problems that he hasn't really had in, in the course of recent Absolutely. months he's rightly receiving a lot of praise because he is one of the best midfielders in the country at the moment but Newcastle caused him problems and forced him into making uncharacteristic mistakes for example for that but also early on when Joe Linton got the the shot off very early on he got in behind uh, Declan Rice to be able to do that and so I think I think Joe Willock he gives Newcastle yeah. something from midfield, which the midfielders don't as much. I mean, Shelby, yes, has scored a couple from long range, but really, between him and Joe Linton, they're not producing the goals. Willick, you think, can actually score more goals. You know he can. You've seen it more. And he, it was interesting hearing him speak to the club TV after the game because he basically said, this has been a unique season for me because throughout his entire career for Arsenal in one competition or another he would always pop up with goals he might not always start every week but he popped up with goals from, from, from time to time and he'd gone 20 odd games without one and so from to get one I thought it was huge you could see the relief that that came off him but also I think you could see how he grew into the second half as well and there was that shot he killed just around the far post later on as well where you can see he's now has that belief back and, and I think that'll be huge and I, I really do think he can go on a bit of a run I'm not saying he's going to score what he did last season but I do think between now and the end of the season he can score 3-4 uh, five goals and that they could be really important ones for Newcastle. And talking about that that competency, George, and that solidity at the back, I mean, with the, with the exception of a little bit of what we'll call alternative defending for the free kick and the uh, the goal by West Ham, Fabian Scher, Dan Byrne, Matt Target and Emil Kraft all doing a good job in there. They, 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 they seem to have it, have it under control, don't they? Which is a really weird thing to see from a, a Newcastle back four. Yeah, and of course the other person who was who was missing at the weekend was Jamal Lascelles in the sense that he was on the bench, you know. And okay, so some people this season have suggested that um, he should be left out or he should be dropped, but he's the captain. He's the captain of a quiet team, so you know that was interesting. But the way Byrne and Cher played against against Villa, they didn't, you know, they didn't deserve to be left out. And so that's another encouraging thing that Newcastle can leave their captain out. Um, when he's back to back to fitness, Byrne has just been really good. And um, since he signed, again, there's that feeling that when the ball gets gets played back in the past, Newcastle's defence would panic. You know, you would see the fear, and that fear would spread around the team. That's not the case anymore. They look 
in control. They looked. You composed. could feel it in the crowd as well, George. It was a lot, a yeah. sharp intake of breath from a lot of fans as soon as that ball got played backwards, and it doesn't seem to be there now. No, and it's great. And I don't think it's the end of Lascelles by any stretch of the imagination. I do think, like in every other part of the team, um, the new people coming in have lifted standards, and so the people either in the team, in the case of you know the midfield. They've had to raise their game, and and in the in defence, the same thing has had to happen. It's you know that is the encouraging thing when there's competition, when um, and when there's you know when there's a when there's a clear plan, and no, the the defence has looked has looked great. They have, and, and I mean Matt Target as well. We have to mention him, Chris. He's on the quiet. What a fantastic little sign, and that's been. It might only be six months, but my God, the ki- the kid has justified it already, hasn't he? He's came in and he's played really, really well. And again on on uh, on Saturday, he just didn't want to let anybody past him, did he? He didn't. And then that what's been impressive about the January signings beyond. Bruno, who obviously hasn't played necessarily as much as we expect him to, the other ones have come in, and it is. It, it I think the way that George's competency is, is is what they've brought. There's nothing spectacular about what Mart target does. There's nothing really spectacular about what Dan Byrne does, except the fact he's absolutely massive. <laughs> um, but apart from that, there's, it, it's all just sort of that they, they do they do things sort of rel- They just do the right thing. They make co- correct decisions, and you could see that all game with Matt Target and 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 the fact that he gives so much to to those in front of him as well. It releases them to be able to to get forward. And I know it wasn't Alan Maxim at the weekend; it was Jacob Murphy. But a lot went through Jacob Murphy the week because he didn't have the defensive responsibilities that necessarily you would require because you have someone who you're so confident in behind. And Matt Target actually got forward and put a, a lot of ball at the box, a lot of balls which I actually thought were, were pretty decent balls and it was a shame Chris Wood had been involved in the build-up play and so wasn't actually in the box because a confident striker I think would have would have fancied some of those. So no, I think he's I think I think he's really justified the the decision by Eddie Howe to go out for him. I think a lot of people raised eyebrows. I was a little bit surprised when Newcastle went and was so keen on a left back because of because of who they had in the squad and it was very controversial when he left Jamal Lewis out and remained so but at the moment Matt Target's shown exactly why he was brought in and to make that impact and to make it immediately which is exactly what was required from the January window. Aidan Bees uh, uh, written in on the uh, on the real-time feed on the Athletics app and said Matt Target has really impressed me with how unflappable he seems uh, Chris, uh, what are the chances that we could convert him into a permanent signing in the summer is this something that's been mentioned or is there any noises going on around this? Well, there's, the, I understand is there isn't a clause in the deal to be able to sign him permanently at this stage in terms of a pre-agreed fee. And part of the the reason, seemingly, from the Villa end for that was that if Newcastle want to sign him, it probably makes more sense for Villa to wait until the summer because if they agreed a price now, he might actually be worth more to them in the summer. So uh, I think it's a little bit too early to st- to say, but equally, Eddie Howe wanted him and wanted him for a reason. And, he, and I do think that he wants an upgrade on the left backs that are a different left type of left back to he had previously. So I think that if he keeps performing like this, there's a very good chance Newcastle would try and make a permanent and target himself. Speaking, I think it was to talk sport last week was basically saying if, if, if Aston Villa are going to sign Luca Dina, then he knows he's not going to play every week. He's 26 years old. Now he wants to play every week. And so I think he'd be, be very, very keen on that as well. George, we, we got another short cameo from Bruno, didn't we, with the last seven minutes or so? I mean, in a similar parallel to the, the Jamal Lascelles sort of situation here, is Eddie Howe right to leave him out and keep going with the uh, the John Joe Jojo midfield? Because, let's be honest, <laughs> they're doing the job. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely, absolutely he is. I mean, 
I've I've sort of had a couple of strange conversations on on Twitter about this about mm. about you know about him being left out and has Eddie Howe got something against him or what does he have to do to prove himself? But it's it's the other way around. This is a really positive situation. So someone like Kieran Trippier has come into the team and immediately lifted standards, and that's great. For this one, the people already in the team have lifted their standards, and they're keeping the new signing out. Absolutely, Bruno. We hope and believe is going to be here for years. He's going to be a proper asset to the team. He's the one player that they signed that doesn't have experience of the Premier League um, that they signed in January, and he's having a chance to you know to watch the team play, to see how they play. Uh, he's getting small tastes of the action, not enough. I'm sure he's frustrated. I'm sure he's bursting to play. So what does he do? Well, let's let's hope he. He, he raises his game even further in training and pushes people and pushes people. There is absolutely no reason to change this midfield at the minute. The only reason that I would change it at the moment is because of injury or fatigue. Um, because they're, they're all playing their part. I, I could never foresee myself saying this, but um, Joe Linton is undroppable. John Joe Shelby is undroppable. And Joe yeah. Willock, who, who really until quite recently, as Chris pointed out, I mean, has had a poor season. Um, Jolinton is is you know has instead of becoming a striker you know instead of being the forty million pound striker is now a defensive midfielder a destructive midfielder who's combative who's physical who can um, who can really get under the noses under the skin of opposition players yeah full of running Willock uh, has always had that energy but that energy is now focused. And that's really good. You know, that's a really good thing to see. And Shelby has always had all the passing ability in the world. The thing that you always feared about him, or that I always feared about him, was that needlessness, the bad decision-making. The discipline, yeah. The lack of tactical discipline. And he's got it. And so why change it? There was no need to change it. Newcastle are either winning games or drawing games. And I think it's. I think that is the big success of this team. So, no, I'm really, really excited to watch Bruno uh, to what to watch Bruno play, but he's got to earn the right. Absolutely, and I'm, I know we've waxed lyrical a couple of times about Joel Linton since his conversion uh, into Injolo Kante, um, and it's it's lovely to see. You know, it really is, and it was really nice to see the lads as well on the train on the way down to West Ham with their um, their Joel Linton Hawaiian shirts, which were also prominently featured on uh, on BT Sport as well or, or Sky Sports, whoever it was. Fantastic to see that, and it ended up on Joel Linton's Instagram feed as well, which I thought was fantastic. I, I like that he's seen that. But uh, we were talking about Declan Rice before, and Declan Rice, he was saying he's uh, the amount of midfielders he's come up against uh, this season that he's had no problems dealing with. He's never came up against a Joel Linton, has he? Until now, and now look at him. Yeah, and <laughs> it's just brilliant. I love it. Suchek and Rice have had fantastic seasons, and that was something that you know that was something that that I was concerned about before. Before the match, you know, Declan Rice is is you know one of the best midfielders in the in the country at the minute, and um, you know they were. Um, I don't want to say they were in the pockets of Newcastle's midfield, but they played so well. You know, they played so well. They matched them up, so, didn't they? Yeah, they matched them up. Yeah, yeah. I forgot Suchek was on the pitch. If it wasn't for the, the the free kicks and the corners that they were pumping in the box, trying to hit get him on the head every time, you wouldn't have known he was there. He, he, he didn't do he didn't do much at all. He didn't threaten at all. Um, anyway, uh, just before we uh, we move on, Chris, any, any injury updates? Kieran Trippi has had his surgery now on his foot. 
Uh, is there any kind of news about him or is there any other thoughts about where he might be with regards to that injury? It was rather odd after Hedy Howe's press conference on Friday because the injury update was a positive one and yet it got reflected in a negative sort of way because Howe said, I hope he's going to be back before the end of the season because the surgery has gone well. And then it became, a lot of the headlines elsewhere seemed to be, Eddie Howe worried that Kieran Trippier is going to be out for the rest of the season. So it was a little bit of an odd sort of update, but basically it was a positive one. The surgery went well. It hopefully, in theory, if he, if he reacts well to that, means that he's going to be uh, recovering well over the course of the next few weeks. So yeah, it's going to be a good few weeks, probably eight to 10 from now before we see Kieran Trippier back in Newcastle should but he is he is uh, he is he, the surgery went well lovely stuff so that's fingers crossed for that Kieran Trippier injury and his recovery um Chris Alan Maximum was the uh the omission on Saturday which caught a lot of fans by surprise I think Eddie Howe didn't give an update before the game to say that he was injured but uh is that looking like a short-term one could he be back in time for Brentford or is this looking like another couple of weeks maybe he's without him I think it's going to be touch and go for Brentford. It was a it was a calf injury he suffered against Villa. From the first half, he was limping quite badly at one stage, and in the second half, he was a little bit restricted. So uh, there's a chance he'll be back for Brentford. He, the the hope, and he's he's been pictured in the gym this week. But I, I, it's it's going to be touch and go for now. So there's there's no guarantees he's definitely back. But the hope it's not long term certainly. No worries. Well, fingers crossed for that one as well. Uh, right then, we'll be back in a couple of seconds uh, with Jay Harris to talk about Brentford. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So, Jay Harris, thank you very much for joining us. How are we doing? Are we all good? Yeah, not too bad, all things considered. But can I be cheeky and say that I hope St. Maximin does miss uh, Saturday's game? Just want to start off with, start off on that. Do you mean you're not shaking in your boots at the prospect of Jacob Murphy running at your fullbacks instead? Not quite on the same level as uh, St. Maximin, I'm afraid. No disrespect to Jacob Murphy, of course. Of course not. Well, thanks for joining us anyway, Jay. Um, it's, uh, what's it like in the world of Brentford at the minute? It's an interesting one, isn't it? You, you seem to have started the season quite strongly and it, it's appeared to have tailed off a little bit. Yeah, and I think what I should start off by saying is that at the beginning of the season, every Brentford fan I spoke to said that they didn't really care that much if they got relegated. Just the fact that they were in the top flight for the first time in 74 years, first time they were in the Premier League, that was going to be enough for them. And then that fantastic start to the season happened, raised everybody's expectations. And now, you know, they're on this run of, you know, they've not won in their last eight games in all competitions, seven in the league. 
Um, defensively, they've not partic- not looked particularly good for a while now. And yeah, all those fans who at the beginning of the season weren't that worried about relegation have now, yeah, I think hit the doom button of, oh my God, if, if something doesn't change quickly, then, uh, then we're going to get dragged into it. Well, I think it's fair to say they have been dragged into it. And even as recently as the beginning of January, didn't really look like that was going to happen. Ivan Tony went out the out the blocks like a rocket at the start of the season as well, didn't he? And quite a lot's happened in his world since he scored in that that game at St James's Park. <laughs> What's going on with him? Yeah, I think Ivan Tony, all of the goals he scored for Brentford last season came inside the penalty box. And I, I point I start with that point because I think a lot of people thought he was a very one-dimensional striker, which is not the case. Start of the Premier League season, everybody began to realise how important he is and critical he is to Brentford's build-up play in terms of dragging him up the pitch with his aerial ability, drawing fouls from other teams. And since he's been out of the team in the last three games especially, you've seen how much Brentford struggle without him. So even whilst I think he's only got six goals in the league this season and at least two of them, possibly three, have been penalties... He's not potentially done as well as he expected in this division in terms of goal-scoring return. In terms of how critical he is to the way Brentford play, he's huge. And he's also struggling with a calf injury at the moment. He's missed the last three games. So I think there's a little bit of concern from Brentford that they're about to play their three biggest games of the season in a row. Obviously against yourselves, Norwich and Burnley. And if Tony's missing for at least even one of them, that's absolutely huge. And is there, I mean, is there a sense of nervousness around around the team and the club now, Jay? Do you think? I don't know internally. I don't get that impression. I think Thomas Frank, you know, even when we spoke to him the other day, he's always kind of maintained that Brentford will take this game or take the season rather one game at a time, even when they were flying at the beginning of the season. And you know, I certainly wasn't saying this, but other journalists were saying, "Well, Brentford are safe now, aren't they?" He was always always kind of batting that away. He didn't allow Brentford to kind of get sucked into that a little bit too too much. Of course, they enjoyed those moments, you know, the win over Arsenal, the draw of Liverpool, the win away at West Ham. They enjoyed them from as much as they could, but they didn't get too carried away with it. Whereas I think the fan base, as I alluded to, is a little bit more worried. The, the game against Crystal Palace um, last weekend, the nil-nil, for a lot of people that felt like an opportunity to, to kind of put away. Obviously, they drew nil-nil, not a lot happened. I think some Brentford fans were being a bit cheeky that they were going to do the double over Arsenal, but obviously that didn't happen. So it feels like for the last eight weeks, we've just been looking to this set of fixtures against Newcastle, uh, Norwich and Burnley, thinking, oh, that could be a really tricky period of the season if we don't get any points. And it feels like it's just been this formality of they've not picked up any points. They're now at this critical stage of the season and it's going to be, you know... Who knows what's going to happen, basically. I mean, it's one point from seven games, isn't it? And that's that's Newcastle form. That's what we like to call that. Hey, none of that. None of that. <laughs> but but yeah, like I said, the, the only point they've got was was against Crystal Palace and it was a, it was a pretty lackluster game. I think it should be pointed out that they've played Liverpool in that time. They've played City in that time. They played United in that time. And, you know, I think uh, Thomas Frank, you know, created a few headlines when he said that Brentford absolutely destroyed Man United, but he was very correct. The first 45 minutes of that game, especially Brentford, Brentford should have been at least one goal up against United, but uh, uh, against excuse me, top teams in this division. Jay, Jay, yeah, go for I it. Will, I will just correct you on something. They might have played a United, but they didn't play the oh. United. Please carry on. <laughs> thank, you have to be careful. Thank yeah. you. you have to be careful with that. Thank you for correcting me. But yeah, as, as I was saying... I needed that slap on the wrist. I never made that mistake again. <laughs> As I was saying, against Manchester United, it, it's irrelevant if you play well against these teams and don't win because, okay, it might be a nice little 
confidence boost, but it's still not points on the board. And and I guess they kind of showed their naivety. And I think they also let their emotions get get the better of them in that game. And we kind of saw that in the following game against Wolves when, when Thomas Frank got sent off at full time. So they've had their difficult games recently, but also you need to take your opportunities when they come and, they, and they've not really done that. Jay, in recent weeks, um, Brentford have actually been global news to a certain extent with the sort of Christian Eriksen story and, and, and how wonderful it is that he's back and got, and got another club. He played, he played a friendly last week. Will he make his debut this weekend? And, and if so, do you think that would be as a substitute or do you think there is a chance he could actually start? Look, I don't want to terrify you boys, but yeah, he played in a friendly last week and he got an assist. And then he played in another friendly today against Rangers and got two assists in a two-all draw. So, you know, he's clearly clearly ready to rip it up. Um, you know, yeah. after, or rather on Friday in uh, Thomas Frank's press conference ahead of the Arsenal game, he said that they were kind of uh, aiming for Christian Eriksen to be ready for the Newcastle match. Um, I don't think he's kind of anywhere near a level to be to be starting a game yet because irrespective of what he's been through, he has still not played a competitive match of football for eight months. So to kind of throw someone in at the deep end and expect them to start in a game where there's a there's a lot on the line, I think Brentford kind of have to have that internal discussion whether that's fair on Christian to do that. But um, certainly from, from people I've spoken to in the club, I've had the, the opportunity to interview a few of the players recently and they've all been hugely impressed by, by Christian's quality. No, I don't think anybody's in any doubt about what he's going to bring to the team. They all seem overwhelmingly positive. They're all incredibly impressed by what he's doing in training. So it feels like it's a really good recipe for something really positive happening. And hopefully that is that is on Saturday. He's a fantastic player, Christian Eriksen. And I have to be honest, as a Newcastle fan, I did have a slight pang of jealousy when he signed for Brentford. I thought I would have loved to have seen him come to St. James's Park. And he's he's the kind of player that, you know, that I've really enjoyed watching over the years. And, and I think he still has an awful lot to offer in the game as well, even after what's happened to him in the last few years. I, I really hope he doesn't make his debut against <laughs> Newcastle. I think that's the last thing we need at the minute, to be honest. But yeah, what, what a great player and what a great signing that is for Brentford. Yeah, definitely. I think... What has to be said is that Christian Eriksen obviously really wanted to come back to the Premier League and he really wanted to come back to London above anything else. So that's really kind of helped Brentford in this deal. But I think it's just, it kind of made sense for him to come to Brentford because of the Thomas Frank connection. Uh, Frank had worked with him when he was Denmark under-17's head coach. And Christian, in his press conference that I attended, he kind of spoke about going into a familiar environment, environment one where he's going to feel comfortable and I don't think he could have got a better environment than, than Brentford in terms of a Premier League club. Just because of that familiarity, they've got so many Danish internationals at the club. Matthias Jensen, Christian Norgaard, Jonas Lersel. No disrespect to you guys, but it just makes more sense for him to, after what he's been through, to have a more comfortable experience for a while. And then depending on how the six, next six months go, he might be in a position in the summer where he goes back to another team that's kind of competing at the top end of the table. We saw that Matthew Benham made a rare visit to the training ground this week. Jay, I mean, was that to do with saying hello to Christian Eriksen or was there something else something else going on there? No, that's exactly what it was about. Um, obviously, for people that don't really know, Matthew Benham very much kind of leaves Brentford to be kind of run in the hands of the director of football, Phil Giles. Um, Benham doesn't really get involved in the day-to-day -day running of the club. Of course, he's going to be involved in some of the bigger decisions. Um, but on a day-to-day -day basis, he's not 
one who kind of courts publicity in the same way as as your owners, for example. He very much kind of shuns shuns the spotlight. He doesn't do media interviews or anything like that. Keeps himself to himself. Um, but from from you know from the sources I've spoken to, that was quite like a, a morale boosting visit. He just kind of went down to to watch Christian play for the first time, as we kind of referenced earlier in this this friendly against Southend. I think it was just a really good sight for for some of the staff at the club and for some of the players to kind of see Benham kind of walking around the place and get the opportunity to put him for some chats and things like that. I think, especially in the position that they're in at the moment, to kind of just see a presence like that around, I think can be quite like a nice little confidence boost and just kind of unites people. Fantastic stuff. Um, Michael S on the uh, on the real-time feed over on the Athletic app has asked, uh, how many teams are now in a relegation scrap? I'm interested to get your thoughts on this, Jay. He's saying there could be some huge movement in the in the league table by Sunday night with others facing uh, very tough games in the week as well. And his, he says his list goes as high as Brentford uh, now that they've played two more games than us. Is this something which is still on, on people's minds at Brentford? Could, re- could relegation still be a possibility? Yeah, definitely. And I think I, I will point out and say that I think it is always good to kind of have points on the board as opposed to games in hand because you never know which way that's going to go. But I would say that, yeah, Brent... If there's one team that knows about that, mate, it's Newcastle United. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Brentford are definitely involved in this relegation battle now. I don't think there's any denying. Like I said, you know, if Brentford lose to Newcastle at the weekend, they're dragged one step further into it. They struggle against Norwich, they're one step further into it. I think the critical thing to point out here is that when Brentford played Newcastle, Norwich and Burnley before Christmas, they got one point out of nine. If they do that, I think that kind of speaks for itself. And that's kind of been the problem with Brentford this season. Those games where they're not expected to do anything, your Arsenals, your Liverpools, your Man Cities, your Manchester Uniteds, where people are kind of thinking Brentford are going to get turned over here, that actually seemed to surprise a lot of people and be really up for it. Whereas the games this season where the pressure's been on the line, Norwich got their first win of the season against Brentford. Burnley got their first win of the season against Brentford. I remember sitting next to Chris when it was um, Newcastle-Brentford and when Lascelles scored, I thought that was it. I thought, you know, it was, you know, the first game of the new ownership and I was really panicking for a second and I think they were lucky to get out of that game with a point. So... That narrative, as we head into Saturday, of the pressure being on, if Newcastle go go ahead 10 minutes up into the game on Saturday, the crowd are going to feel very anxious, very anxious. So, yeah, definitely in a little bit a little bit of bother. That's the key thing about Newcastle's recent form. I mean, obviously, they had to start winning games for their own sake. They had to start picking up points for, the own, for their own sake. But what they've done is they've now dragged so many other teams back into it. So teams, you know... Everton are on the same number of points, then there's Leeds, and then Brentford as well. But actually, you can go up to Leicester. Leicester are only five points ahead of Newcastle. I'm not saying that Newcastle are targeting them, but but the, the run of form that they've been on means that it's now not just those four teams at the bottom. It's, um, it's about the teams above as well. And... Yeah, it's not just about picking up points. It's about overtaking other teams. And, you know, Newcastle have now given themselves now giving themselves a chance to do that. And you can see that there is nervousness around those other teams now. I was going to say, I think that's a good point because I can't underestimate how... I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. I guess how frustrating it is for rival teams when you see Newcastle pick up successive wins. And you're kind of thinking where, yes, Trippy is a quality player, but how much of an impact will he have? And then he just has this tremendous impact. And all of a sudden, within the space of a week, the whole narrative of what's going on at the bottom of the table kind of changes completely. And like you said, 
of course that 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 will breed nervousness and anxiety into the other teams. I don't, I, I don't think you can underestimate that. You know, Newcastle got a point at the weekend. Watford won at the weekend. Burnley won at the weekend, and Brentford lost for the. You know, their winless run continues. That of course that's going to be a factor in their minds. You, you know, we can't underestimate confidence at this level of the game. Absolutely. Well, Jay, thank you very much for for joining us. We're going to wrap it up there. It's it's been great to talk to you, and uh, good luck for the rest of the season with Brentford, but obviously not uh, for this weekend. Can I just say, actually, it will be a shame on Saturday because obviously Tony's injured. If Tony and St. Maximum are both ruled out, it will be a shame that you know both teams are robbed of arguably their best attacking assets. But then on the other hand, it would be good to see Tony score against you guys again. But we'll see. <laughs> Well, thanks very much, Jay. Nice one. Cheers. Absolute pleasure. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Right, then just a couple of other bits of business to tidy up before we finish off for the uh, for the day. Uh, Chris, Michael Walker has uh, written a, an article about Damien Duff, a player who hasn't uh, done many interviews over the years. Um, I, I noticed you tweeted about that earlier on, giving the article an awful lot of praise. What, what What's happened behind that one? What's the, uh, what's the story there? Well, I thought it was fascinating because Damien Duff during his career wasn't someone who spoke very often as a player, and obviously his time at Newcastle was... Up and down, and he left in quite uh, controversial circumstances, I think it's fair to say. And it's just a a very, very interesting interview. Michael Walker went across to Dublin to speak to him, so he's just taken charge of of an Irish league side across there. It started at a lower level, and and if you compare him to someone like Frank Lampard, who obviously was, was was a teammate of his at Chelsea, and he's managing in the Championship, then the Premier League, and yet... Damien Duff, he's just very honest in this interview. He, he, yeah. he doesn't come across as how I would necessarily have thought he was. He seems to be very dry. He seems to have a good humour about him. And so I just think it's worth it's worth reading to say you don't always necessarily find out everything about a player and, and their personality by just what you see on the pitch or what you see at the time. They don't give many interviews. And I just thought he came across as a as a as quite an intriguing character, albeit one who I understand why Newcastle fans are frustrated. Obviously, they went down. He then left, having scored the winner, uh, the, the the goal at West Brom, which got Newcastle a point and there's a, there's a bit of bitterness towards him there which I entirely understand but I think as a sort of character I just thought it's very interesting how he came across so I would, I would recommend everyone to read it definitely check that out 
Right then, a quick couple of questions before we finish. Uh, George, uh, Michael Bees asked, is there any update on Dan Ashworth? Um, there's been a few bits and pieces flying around social media this week about him and a potential appointment. Have we got any more news on that one? I think we're end game status. I don't think there's anything to worry about. Um, yes, we know he's on gardening leave um, at Brighton and has a notice period which he either has to see out or has to be negotiated by Newcastle. Those talks are uh, uh, taking place. I think everything, I think in terms of him joining Newcastle, I think everything's there. I think everything's ready to go. Uh, no problems with that. And it's just about finding, you know, finding an agreement with, with Brighton. Lovely stuff. And Alex C has asked about um, potentially challenging higher up the table next season. Um, it might be worth asking you this one, George. What do we have in store? What do the owners have in store in the summer and beyond if we secure our place in the Premier League? I'd imagine those conversations will have happened, but it's not, not something they will be thinking about too closely until we're actually safe, I presume. Well, I mean, I think they've they've already had talks about um, talks about players they could bring in. I know that they've uh, talked to some of the clubs in Europe that they were speaking to in January about some of those players. So I think I think they are there. I mean, it's difficult it's difficult for them to do that um, full on when their own status is is not certain. But those conversations have already have already been happening. And also, Chris, just before we finish up, um, John Joe Shelby and Fabian Share, there's been talk of them getting new deals this week as well. Um, do you know how many players the, the club will be looking to, to bring in in the summer or if, if there'll be any other contract uh, improvements? So the Fabian Share and John Joe Shelby, sorry, yeah, I mean, there was the, the Telegraph, Luke Edwards, who, who reported that. Now, Fabian Share is, is is going into the last few months of his contract. He's had a bit of a, uh, well, very much a renaissance under um, Eddie Howe, having struggled towards the end under Steve Bruce. And the way that he plays, he looks actually very comfortable as a defender now whereas there was always that concern with him defensively whereas he was always comfortable on the ball but in terms of those two are some players who Eddie Howe sees as part of the the club's medium term future at the very least so they're some of the ones that they're trying to tie down in terms of new players roughly in the summer I can't give a specific number on that because I think that's still being discussed internally and they'll wait until the director of football position is fully resolved there but I don't think it's going to be sort of rip up the squad completely and sort of start again they've already made five signs obviously in January albeit one of them on loan I think that you're probably looking at a similar number maybe one or two more beyond that and so there'll be a refresh of more of the squad beyond that so maybe maybe about a quarter to a fifth of the squad what I think could be sort of updated this summer. That's it, pretty much, chaps. Um, before we go, it's uh, Federico Fernandez's birthday today as well, so happy 33rd birthday to him. Um, but this week has also seen the desperately sad news that Steve Black uh, has passed away. Blackie uh, was an inspirational strength and conditioning coach uh, who had two spells uh, at Newcastle United, more famously with Kevin Keegan uh, and the Entertainers, and then later on uh, in 2015-16. Um He's also a big name in the world of rugby as well. Chris, uh, you've got some uh, some abiding memories of, of Blackie. He seems to have been a universally loved character. Yeah, he was one of those people who I was at quite a few functions with him over time. And he's one of those people who just, he sort of, he would always get up on stage and he would always just own the room. He was there and he would just, it was completely off the off the cuff with them. But he was, what was all very interesting, I think, uh, in one of the tributes from from Johnny Wilkins, who obviously he worked with in, in the world of rugby, was basically how he was brought in initially. I mean, he was a former bouncer, and he, but he was also a boxer and he was brought in as a basically a, a, fit, a strength and conditioning coach, a fitness coach sort of thing with, with Kevin Keegan in the mid-90s. But really it was the, the psychological work 
that he did with some of the players, the way that he sort of would get into their mind, and he obviously did a lot with over the last few years with Joey Barton in particular. He did work with him, and how he really tapped into that very early on, and he, he helped he helped players to, to to really own an occasion and to understand how to to get through matches or specific situations and just talk to him. I mean, I know that for a fact that jo- the Joey Barton even over the last few years would just spend hours just talking to to Steve Black. They would just have conversations about things to try and help him to try and get a, to get him through. So it was very he, he was he was ahead of his time really in that in that sort of way in terms of he did a lot of that before other sports clubs and and professional athletes would necessarily do that. And to 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 the to the area, he was huge in terms of contributing to sport through Sport Newcastle, which is a local charity, but also obviously work for the Falcons and work for for, for Newcastle United, and then went on to 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 help with the British and Irish Lions, even with New Zealand and like. So yeah, a huge figure in in Northeast sport and 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 a, and a, a larger than life personality. Absolutely, we've seen plenty of tributes to him, George, haven't we? Including Freddie Woodman and other and other former players, uh, and we know he was he was a massively inspirational figure, wasn't he? Yeah, totally, totally um, associated associated with Newcastle during a you know during a um, very important time at the club, and of course, yeah, Johnny Johnny Wilkinson spoke about him, you know, really highly. Worked very closely with with him too. Obviously, there were times when Johnny Wilkinson trained at uh, Newcastle United's training ground. But um, and and Wilkinson talked about you know saying that he wasn't just a fitness coach that nobody was better at getting inside a player's head an athlete's head and sort of understanding them and so yeah far far more than that and yeah as Chris said very eloquently a huge loss huge loss to northeast sport and wider sport too absolutely well chaps I think we'll uh, we'll finish up there thank you very much for your time George and Chris and all of you out there for listening as well look after yourselves and each other and we'll leave you with the words of Terry McDermott about Steve Black uh, words cannot do justice to what a top bloke he was and he will be missed very much by everyone who knew him thanks a lot for listening to the pod in the time we'll see you again next week uh, we'll come to try and um, reduce relaxation responses so, sort of uh, almost stress management strategies <laughs> that was another stress management strategy left hook to the chin which tends to relax people quite well actually I think <laughs> Athletic.